You're listening to the Grace Point Northwest podcast. We hope that you will be encouraged and built up in your relationship with Jesus as you hear the preaching and teaching of God's Word. If Grace Point Northwest is not your home church, it is our heart that this podcast will be supplemental and not a substitute to you belonging to a local church in your community. If we can help you get connected to a church in your community, please let us know. Now we hope you enjoy this message from our Sunday gathering. All right, all right, that's a little better. Some of you are like, woo-woo, okay, cool. Hey, my name is Travis. I'm one of the pastors here. It's great to be with you this morning. If you've got a Bible, go ahead and open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. If you don't have a Bible and you'd like one, feel free on the way out today. Swing by Centerpoint right here in the back. We have free Bibles in both English and in Spanish, and we want you to have a Bible when you come here. But in the meantime, you can follow along by checking out the screen behind me. Most of the things that I'll be saying, scriptures I'll be referring to, stuff like that will be up there. One of the things I oftentimes like to remind us of here at Grace Point is one of our core values, and that is to live as leaders. And what that means is we desire to live as leaders who not only see ourselves grow in Christ, but we desire to see others grow in Christ as well. And so one of the ways we do that is by putting short but helpful resources into your hands. And so this month, we have the book Raised. If you've been with us for a little bit, you know over the past few weeks, we've been talking about the resurrection a lot. And so we've got a book back there on the resurrection by Jonathan Dotson called Raised. It'll be a fantastic resource to help you see the importance of the resurrection, not only in the next life, but in the life right now. And so that book is only $5 here at Grace Point Church Northwest. If you get it on Amazon, I think it's like 10, something like that. And we've got about five, six copies, so make sure you pick one of those up. Today, we're gonna be concluding our study through the first book of 1 Corinthians. And we're gonna be finishing out our last study called Beyond the Grave, our last series. And if you've been with us for any length of time, you know we've taken this book and we've broken it up into different series, kind of like the Jason Bohr movie, stuff like that. Since about chapter seven, the Apostle Paul has been answering specific questions these Corinthian Christians had in regards to Christianity. And he's been answering those questions. And today, Paul is gonna finish the letter by reminding the church in Corinth, as well as you and me, that the gospel, because of the gospel, you and I are a bonded family. Let me explain what I mean by that. How many of you have ever put something together only to realize a little bit later you could not get it apart? I can remember when we got married and even as we've been married, we have discovered that Ikea is the type of furniture that works well for us because it fits in our budget. But if you know anything about Ikea, their furniture is not known to hold together very well, is it? And so I remember one time as I was trying to put together some of this furniture As I started to do it, I thought, since it doesn't hold well together, I'm not only going to attach it, but I'm going to glue it together as I go along with Gorilla Glue. And so I started doing that, and I got through step one, two, three, four, but as I got to step five, something really, really bad happened. I realized I put step three on backwards. And so as I started to go back through to take this apart, guess what did not happen? Gorilla Glue holds up to its reputation. It would not come apart. And I'm sitting there prying, trying to get it apart. And next thing you know, as I rip this part off, guess what? Some of the parts stayed on the main part. Some of that part came off on this because once I glued it together, guess what? It was never meant to be torn apart. And the same way, what Paul is gonna share with you and me today is this, that we are a bonded family in Jesus and we are held together by something so much stronger than glue. We are held together by the gospel. You see, the church is not merely friends. The church is a family, and that's what Paul wants to drive home for you and me this morning. So listen to what he says in chapter 16, verse 12. He says, now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit you, uh, visit you with the other brothers, but it was not at all his will to come now. 
He will come when he has opportunity. It seems that the Corinthians had written to Paul and they've asked Paul to send Apollos to them. And Paul tells us right here, what did he do? He urged Apollos to go. But Apollos didn't want to go, did he? And so why did he not want to go? Some people speculate that the reason he didn't want to go is because his name and his ministry, rather than being used to unite the church, to build the family of God, some people have kind of hijacked his name and his ministry and were using it in a way to tear the church apart. You might remember in 1 Corinthians 3, 4, this verse should be up here behind me. It says this, for when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Paulus, aren't you being merely human? You might remember in the very first chapters of this book, there were Christians who were magnifying the messengers while missing the message. They were glorifying preachers, but neglecting the gospel. Apollos preached Jesus. Paul preached Jesus. Peter preached Jesus. But instead of following Jesus, these people became groupies, if you will, of particular preachers. And we hear this all the time in the church, right? I mean, I can only imagine if it was to be here, some would say, well, I follow Pastor Travis. Some would say, well, no, what we need here is a little bit more of Pastor Nathan. We need to hear him. Some of you are like, hey, that Joel guy was really, really good. Why can't we hear him more? And what we've got to understand is this, is that when we start pitting different preachers and favoritism and all that, we're not building up the church, we're dividing the church. I've actually been a part of a church where someone, I was talking to a friend and I said, hey, uh, you know what, I'll see you this week and I'll see you this weekend at church. And this friend actually responded to me, oh, you won't see me next weekend at church. And I said, well, why not? They go, well, so-and-so's preaching and we don't really care for him. So we're just not gonna come. And the name that they shared was a friend of mine. I can't think of a more consumeristic and selfish mindset than that. And that could have been part of the reason Apollos didn't wanna go because people were using his name to pit him against other brothers and sisters in Jesus. But what Paul focuses on here is not so much why he didn't go, but rather he focuses more on who Apollos is. And you'll notice in that verse, what did he say Apollos is? He said he is our what? Our brother. He's our brother. Apollos doesn't belong to a particular group in Corinth. And he, he belongs to the entire church. Why? Because he's our brother. And what this shows us is that the church is not an institution. The church is not an organization. The church is not a business. But rather, the church is not necessarily even something you and I go to or do or merely attend. But here's the big idea. The church at its core is a family, guys. It's a family. With God as our father, Jesus is our elder brother, according to Romans 8 and Hebrews 2, and the rest of us as brothers and sisters in Jesus. We are bonded together. We are glued together by Jesus. Therefore, when an opportunity arises and Apollos goes to Corinth, he's not to be monopolized by a particular group. And he shouldn't be used to cause division in the church. Why? Because he is our brother. That's who he is. And so what Paul goes on to talk about here in this next verse is he wants us to focus on those things that build up the family, the church family, rather than tear the church family apart. So look at verse 13. He says this, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all that you do be done in love. In this, in this verse, Paul gives us four imperatives, four commands, if you will, and they're highly important. The first one he says is to be watchful. Essentially what Paul is saying, wake up, wake up. He's saying, be watchful, be alert, look out for what is coming. 
My kids, oftentimes, when they tell me this story, they, they tend to laugh because it's actually quite funny. Maybe you won't think it's funny. You might think it's mean that we're laughing about this, but it is actually kind of funny that they tell me the story that one day as they were walking to their car from school, they had one of their friends along with them walking and talking with them. And he was looking right at him. And as he's walking and talking to him, he literally ran into a light pole, like a cartoon. I'm talking both arms wrapped around the pole, face smashed against the pole, glasses turned. And when they tell me that story, they just start laughing, which shit tells you they, they need Jesus too, okay? But, 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 but it's funny because what was he doing? He was walking and talking. He wasn't watching out. And then boom, he hits the pole. He wasn't looking out. And what Paul is telling you and me here is this, be watchful, look out, look where you're going, look what is coming. The idea behind this term is a military image. It's to watch out, it's to be alert. And what is Paul saying we need to watch out for? Well, when you look in the New Testament, I see two big ideas that Paul gives, as well as John and Peter, guys who wrote the Bible under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. They give us two big ideas of what to look out for. One is Jesus's return. Jesus is coming back. It's a fact. He lived in history. He died in history. He rose again in history. He's reigning and ruling at the right hand of God in history, and he is going to come back. So he says, watch out for it. Don't be surprised by it when it comes. But the other thing they oftentimes tell us to watch out for is Satan and sin. Letting sin sneak into our lives, creep into our lives, tearing our lives apart and tearing the family, the church apart. Some of you guys might remember the famous party crashers in 2009. At that time, uh, President Obama was in office and he was hosting a dinner or a party for the prime minister of India. When all of a sudden, they didn't know until after it was all over, a couple somehow snuck into that dinner. They walked in, they started hanging out they got pictures with President Obama. They got pictures with other White House officials. They met the prime minister. And the only way the Secret Service knew about it was when they posted those photos on Facebook two hours later. And some of you are in here like, how could that have happened? That's what they did. Thankfully, nothing bad happened. But what if that couple all of a sudden, just, like, what if they were a part of a terrorist group? That here's what you got to see, that one lapse in watchfulness could have had catastrophic effects. And just like that couple, if you and I are not watchful, sin can sneak into our lives unnoticed. And that's why Paul gives the first command, watch out, look for Jesus' coming. He is coming back. But also watch out for that sin and watch out for the work of Satan that could tear this church family apart as well as your life apart. He says, wake up. So Paul says, wake up. And then the next thing he says is this, stand up. What does he say we're to stand in? The faith. And what is that? That's the gospel. You see, the gospel is the glue that binds you and me together in the church. And neither we or the Corinthians are to ever stand firm or to be glued together by particular preachers or philosophies or socioeconomic statuses or preferences. Rather, we are all to stand firm in what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. And if you and I stand on anything, listen to me, anything other than Jesus, it will not unite us. It will divide us. It will tear us apart. That is why we've got to be relentless, relentlessly pursuing Jesus and what he has done. And so what is it he has done? You might remember a chapter before. We'll have this on the screen too, 1 Corinthians 15. Paul says this. He says, this is what Jesus has done. 
For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ, what? Died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. You see, Jesus lived the life you and I were meant to live. We were created to be in relationship with God. But rather than being in relationship with God, we chose to be God, to be our own individual autonomous gods, and we rejected his good rule and reign in our lives, and we started to do what we wanted to do in our own eyes. And the Bible calls that sin. You see, sin, guys, is what separates us from God, but I will also say it's what separates us from each other, that we start doing our wants, our desires, rather than his. And though God was completely just to let us go, in his grace, giving us what we didn't deserve, he sent Jesus to do what? To live the life you and I were meant to live. To die the death that you and I were meant to die on that cross for our sin in our place. But to also rise again, conquering Satan, sin, and death. And when we trust in Jesus and what he has done, we are made right in right relationship with God. But we are also made in right relationship with one another. And therefore, we must stand firm, firmly standing upon that. And the question you got to ask yourself right now is this, what are you standing on? Think about your community group or think about this church. We're all very, very different, right? I mean, you look at us in this room, some of us are married, some of us aren't. Some of us have kids, some of us don't. Some of us are older, some of us are younger, some of us were born in Las Vegas. Some of us were born in Arizona. Some of us were born in California. Some of us were born in Kentucky. Amen? No, me alone. Okay. So some of us were born in these places. Yet, none of us are supposed to stand on those things. Because when we say, well, I'm a Californian. I'm an Arizonan. I'm married. I'm single. We start standing on those things. They pit us against one another. They don't unite us. They don't unite us. That's why Jesus is so important. That's why here at Grace Point, we are so much about the gospel and what God has done for us through Jesus to bring us into right relationship with him and each other. And here's the good news, without a scrap of your assistance. You didn't have to earn it. You didn't deserve it. And that's why Paul can say, Apollos is our brother. And this is how you and I are brothers and sisters. So Paul tells us, he says, wake up. He says, stand up. And now he's going to say, grow up. He's going to say, act like men, be strong. Now, what Paul is not talking about here is masculinity and femininity. Okay? He's not talking about that. Rather, what Paul is talking about is maturity. Those who are mature and those who are immature. You might remember from chapter 14, this verse will be up on the screen here. It says this, brothers, do not be children in your thinking, be infants in evil, but in your thinking, be mature. If you've journeyed with us through this book, you've noticed that these Corinthians, though they were Christians, they were very immature Christians. Many of them were caught up in disputes amongst one another, arguing and suing other Christi Christians because they wanted to have their way. Many of those in Corinth were pursuing their own uh, preferences, and some, and this is just like crazy, some of them were so much about themselves that when it came to celebrating communion, they would get drunk on the communion wine while others were left hungry. This behavior is not mature. This behavior sounds a lot like the table at my house with my kids. And I'm not saying my kids get drunk at the table. That's not what I'm saying, okay? Some of you are like, what's going on in your home, Travis? Twittering that out. Travis got, no, don't do that. Don't put that on Twitter. But think about it. 
around my table, it's not uncommon to hear my kids start saying basically, hey, that's not fair. When am I going to get mine? I deserve more of that than you. And I would argue that not only do my kids say that, but as we get older and we get into the church, do we not do a similar thing? We start arguing about our rights and our wants, and we forget that we have brothers and sisters in Christ that we're called to serve. And that's why Paul says this, stop it, grow up, be strong. But what does that look like? It's a great question. There's another letter called Romans that Paul wrote. And in Romans 8, 28 through 29, we'll have this up on the screen as well. It says this, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Verse 29, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be what? The firstborn of many brothers. Some people always ask me, what is God's will for my life? What's God's purpose for my life? This verse is the answer. God's will and purpose for your life is to be more like Jesus in your everyday life. And what we see in Jesus is maturity because Jesus was all about what? Glorifying God and seeking the good of others. Oftentimes when I put my son, or I, I take my son and we're at night and we're like going to his room and he's going to bed, we'll pray for him. And one of the things that I pray for my son often when I get the opportunity to pray for him is what I learned from another pastor years ago. I'll just simply pray this, God, make him a man who is tough and tender. Give him thick skin and a soft heart. Make him tough so he can handle life. Make him tender so he can love people. God, make him a man. Why do I pray that? Because that's maturity. Every single Christian is called to be tough and tender just like Jesus. So many Christians mistakenly believe that maturity is about knowledge. It's about good theology, creating big heads, but having really small hearts. They love theology and the deep things of God, but they don't love people. And I would argue that Jesus had more true knowledge about God in his pinky finger than the entire church in the world has in their mind right now. Yet what was Jesus known for? Love. Service. You look at Mark 10, 45. What does he say? The Son of Man has not come to be served, but to what? To serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus was mature. He was tough and he was tender. He was tough with, with like life, but he was so tender that little kids would come and like crawl up next to him and talk to him. I don't know about you, but I don't know any kids that love to hang around mean people. Jesus probably had a smile on his face, believe it or not. I think he enjoyed life. Now, what I'm not saying, and I want to be very clear here, is this. I am not saying you and I shouldn't be in our Bibles. I'm not saying you and I should not know right things about God. What I am saying is that true biblical maturity is when the things of God lead to the love of other people. That's maturity. And when you think about it, you've got to ask yourself, are you more tough or are you more tender? Some of us in here this morning, we know a lot of Bible. I mean, we're tough, right? But what we lack in is tenderness. You might remember back to 1 Corinthians chapter 8, the scenario that was going on there that was in regards to meat sacrifice to idols. So within that culture, they would worship these other gods. They would sacrifice meat to those gods. And what does Paul say in 1 Corinthians chapter 8? He says, idols aren't real. They're not real. So you're free to eat that meat. You're free to eat that meat. 
However, you're not free to eat that meat if you have a brother and sister in Christ who is weaker in their faith, if you will, not as knowledgeable in their faith. And they don't know that. And so they think by you participating in this act, you're worshiping demons. And what you're doing is you're searing their conscience. And what you're also doing is tempting them to go back into a lifestyle that Jesus saved them from. And so what does Paul say simply? Let love limit your liberty. You are tough. You know right theology. You know the big things about God, but your brother doesn't. So for the sake of your brother, let the love of God limit your liberty so that you can be tender with him and help grow him. There's others of us though, if we're honest, we're not so much tough, but we're very, very tender. And you might remember as we went through this book back in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, What does Paul talk about there? He talks about a guy in the church that is in a relationship that's so taboo and so inappropriate that even those outside the church were looking at it going, ooh, that's gross. That a man was having a relationship with his stepmom. And the church in Corinth was so tender towards this guy. They refused to say anything about it, but worse than that, they tolerated it. And what does Paul say to them? Get tough, get tough. You see, tenderness includes toughness, and toughness always includes tenderness. That is biblical maturity. That is who Jesus is. Jesus was tough on sin that he died for, but he's also tender in the fact that he calls you and me to him. And that's what we've got to be. True biblical Christian maturity is not big heads, it's big hearts. He goes on to say, wake up, stand up, and and grow up. But he says to do it, why? that all things are supposed to be done in love. I love what one theologian said. He said that Christian love is like garlic. And some of you are like, ooh. But here's the reason why he said it's like garlic. When you eat it, everybody knows it. Why? Because it permeates from you. And maybe your thing's not garlic, maybe it's onions. I'll tell you, it has the same effect on people, right? That Christian love flows out of you. And so love that is watchful and firm and strong and man-like maturity, what is it gonna do? It's gonna love other people. And so what Paul does is he transitions here and we'll pick it up. He's gonna talk about what this looks like in the church, both locally and globally. Check it out, verse 15. He says, now I urge you brothers, you know that the household of Stephanus, uh, of Stephanus were, the first converts of, were the first converts in Achaia and that they had devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Be subject to such as these, and to every fellow worker and laborer. Verse 17, I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunus, for, for Tinnitus and Icaeus. I, I, I'm so thankful our, our names got simpler, okay? It's like, Nick, okay, yeah, I can do that one. Okay, because they have made up for your absence. Verse 18, for they have refreshed my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such, such people. What do we know about Stephanus? Well, if you look back in chapter one, you might remember that Paul said this, chapter one, verse 16, I did baptize the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. That what Stephanus was is he was one of the first converts in Achaia where Corinth is. And many people believe that these other two names that follow, that these guys were a part of their household as well. And Stephanus and his household, though they were some of the first Christians in Corinth, what does Paul say they were known for? Their devotion. They were devoted to the service of the saints. You see, their theology, their change of heart didn't create this big head. 
It created this big heart that sought to serve others because the love of God always leads to action. And when you think about devotion of the saints here at Grace Point Northwest, the question is, is how devoted are you? Sadly, so many churches are kind of adhering to the 80-20 principle. Maybe you've heard of it. 80% of the people, or 20% of the people doing what? 80% of the work. That's not right. You see, one of the biggest ways you and I can know that the love of God is permeating from us is by our service to other people. But it's not just our service individually, but notice what's going on in this family. It's the household is serving. You see, serving is one of the great delights of being a Christian. And you are not called to do it by yourself. You do it together as a family with the larger family. One of the greatest joys I've had in starting this, helping to start this church is I put out the signs in the morning and then I pick them up after the gathering. And guess who often gets to come along with me? My son. Now, why does he want to go? Because he likes to ride in the truck, okay? But one of the things that is so good is as times when it's just me and him, we get to have conversations about stuff going on in the church, about his life, all that stuff. When there's other people in the truck with me, guess what? He gets to see men in the church having gospel conversations. Household. You probably notice that at times you'll see some of my kids out front handing out greeting cards. My wife gets to serve the saints in this church as well as those who are outside the church that are not yet Christians through hospitality in our home. And what I'm telling you is it's not just our family. This week I was just thinking through and I quickly wrote down some other names of of families in this church who are so devoted, like the Henrys, the Marshalls, the Buleys, the Deans, the Orenbergs, the Cornegies, the Flores, the, the Shinas, the Ortiz, the Wiggies. Like, I could just keep going. These people are devoted to you. And I don't say that to brag on them because I know there's, there's some other families in here that I didn't say your name, and that doesn't mean your service is any less important. It is absolutely important. I can't say all the names or we'd be here too long. But what you see here is there are families within this larger family that are for you. And what does Paul say? Honor them. Recognize them. Respect their authority in the church. But serve them too. The question is, is are you devoted through your actions? Is your love for God affecting your hands and your feet and your mouth? Are you involved? See, one of the things that, that we can do here to really increase the love and the devotion in this church is by getting everybody involved. Maybe you need to help out in the kids area, in our preschool and our nursery. Some of you are like, well, I'm not really good with kids. Well, can you hold a baby? If you can just hold them. I've seen, I've seen so many adults go in there and hold the baby and they just end up falling asleep with the baby, okay? <laughs> like, but, but what I'm telling you is this. You can show the presence and the love of Jesus through your actions to a child because that's how they feel it. And we actually have had people in our nursery and in our preschool, volunteers, so devoted to you that they, over the past month, have been stuck in there because there's not enough volunteers and they haven't been to church in a month. And I don't say that to make you feel guilty. That's just reality. If a part of the family's hurting, we need to know. We got people that have been in there for a solid month, haven't been able to come in here because we don't have enough people, but they're so devoted to you, they're sticking it out. And what I'm asking you is to help your sister and your brother back there by just taking one month to help out in the kids. 
Think about our setup and teardown teams. Think about those who do first impressions, who, those who are doing tech, those who are in the band. One of the best ways you can engage in devotion is by loving the church through using your time, your talent, and your treasure for his glory and the good of others because that's maturity in Jesus. Paul goes on to talk about not just the local church, but he talks about the global church. He says, we are binded together with the global church as well. Look at what he says in verse 19. The churches of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Prisca, yeah, I was going to say Priscilla, because, but it was Prisca, together with the church in their house, sent you hearty greetings in the Lord. All the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Now, let's, let's call a timeout. Right? Some of you are like, you're getting nervous like me. I hug people. It's called my wife and my kids, right? <laughs> like, like, he's not necessarily saying you and I should go around kissing each other. Okay, it's cultural. Maybe here it's a fist bump, a high five, hug. I don't know, okay? So don't think we're going to start instituting that right now. Everybody kiss the person to your left. No, don't do that. <laughs> Verse 21, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Here's what's going on here. Paul is talking, trying to convince these Christians in Corinth that guess what? You are binded together in Corinth, but you're also binded to a global church. You've got other family members too. And here at Grace Point Church Northwest, you just heard about that. We have family members all throughout the Western United States. We are not only giving, but we are seeking ways to serve 15 different church plants in the Western United States. Not only that, you and I, through this family, are connected to brothers and sisters in Ireland, India, as well as Turkey. And this past week, technology has made this so helpful. This past week, our brothers and sisters in Christ over in Ireland reached out to us and said, hey, send us a video. Tell us how we can be praying for you guys. And so Ty and I this past week made a simple little video and just said, hey, Ty, Travis, Grace Point, Las Vegas, North Las Vegas, and just started talking to them, telling them how they could pray for us, be for us, and how we're for them. As soon as he sent that, I got a text message from somebody in Ireland uh, that I know well. And he said, hey, man, Ty just sent the video. It's great. It's good to put faces to the names as we pray for you. That's happening this morning in Ireland. People are praying for you, Grace Point Church Northwest. That's unbelievable. We're so often thinking we're the ones praying for them, but they're praying for us. He said, give my family, or give uh, my love to your family. I remember my time with you guys fondly, grace and peace. And he ends it, what? Brother. Because that's what he is. He's my brother. That's who he is. What bothers me is how so many times I see, and I understand the intention behind this t-shirt, but you'll see people walking around with a t-shirt that says, I love my church. And I'm so glad people love their church. I'm so glad that you love this church. But my question is always this, do you love other churches too? Like, do you love the other expressions of the family globally as well as locally? Here's what I just want to make very, very clear. The other churches in this valley are not our competitors. Canyon Ridge is not our competitor. I know people there. They're my friends. Life Church, not our competitor. Common Ground Church, not our competitor. There are other local expressions of the family of God that we should be praying for as well as extending, uh, not a kiss, but a high five, a fist bump, or whatever it is, right? That's who they are. This isn't a business where we're trying to make a quota. We're about the gospel of Jesus Christ here in Northwest Las Vegas because the gospel of Jesus Christ is needed here in Northwest Las Vegas. So not only pray for Grace Point, but pray for Jesus' church here as well as globally. 
Paul finishes up with some final challenging thoughts. Listen to what he says in verse 22. He says, if anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord, come. Here's, here's the thing we got to remember. In this church, there were some people who were questioning the resurrection, okay? They were questioning whether the res- resurrection was real, whether it was going to happen, who they are, we're not really sure. But the reality is, is that not everyone in the church is a Christian, Theologians in the past have called this the visible church and the invisible church. The visible church is the church you and I can see, what I'm looking at right now. Some of you walking with Jesus, some of you not. I don't know. I, don't, I can't see hearts. But there is an invisible church that God and God alone can see of true Christians who are trusting in him and him alone. And the question Paul is basically asking here when he says this is, hey, do you got the love of God in you? You see, some in our, in our city and some in the Northwest here, they don't believe that Christianity is spelled D-O or D-O-N-E, done. They think it's spelled D-O, do. That some tend to falsely and mistakenly believe that Jesus will save you, but only after all that you can do. They are not trusting themselves to Jesus, but they're trusting themselves to their work, saying that, hey, I will do all of this, and then Jesus will pick up the rest. But that's not the gospel. You see, to say that Jesus will save you after all that you could do, there's no good news in that. There's others of us that we're not necessarily trying to earn anything. We're not trying to earn anything. That the reason we come into the church is just merely to put on an act. That we're not really loving Jesus. We're not loving his church. We're not loving his word. How do I know this? Because this was me before I became a Christian. Why did I go to church? Because there was a girl there I liked. You know what? And I'll say, I'll love Jesus if it gives me her. But I'll tell you this, Jesus plus something equals nothing, but Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And some of you in here, you think you're here because you're just trying to put on an act. How do I know that? Because I did that. However, there's others of us in this room that the reason we are really here is because we're trusting in and we love God alone and what he has done for us through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus without a scrap of our assistance. And so why does Paul put this in here? I think he's trying to wake up those in the church who might be falsely believing in something that's not true. That Christianity is not about what you have done. It's about what Jesus has done for you without a scrap of your assistance. And so C.S. Lewis, he wrote a few books, Narnia stuff, maybe you've seen the movie. He says this in his book, The Great Divorce, and we'll have this quote up here. He said, there's really only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done. And those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. And the question you've got to ask yourself as you're sitting here listening to the end of this letter is whose will is being done in your life? Are you entrusting into God's will for your life, the rule and reign of Jesus to save you, to redeem you, to bring you back to him? Or are you trusting in your own works and your own doing? Because there's only two types of people when it's all said and done. Those who look to God and say, thy will be done. And those to whom God says, Okay, thy will be done. You can have your way. And a separation from him. He finishes it up because of that is such a bomb to drop on somebody. He finishes this letter how he begins it. With what? Grace. Listen to what he says in 23 through 24. The grace of the Lord Jesus uh, be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. What's grace? Grace is an undeserved gift given by an unobligated giver. Let me explain this. A couple scenarios, three scenarios quickly. 
to help explain what grace is and what grace is not. First one is this, you got a rebellious teenager in your house. So let's say, God forbid, your teenager steals your car. He drives it through a liquor store. They go to jail and you get a call to come bail him out. Do they deserve to be bailed out? Some of you are like, well, I don't know. No, probably not, okay? They did the crime, they deserve the time, okay? Are you obligated to bail them out? Yes. You're the parent. You're responsible, right? Is that grace? No, that's not grace. How about the second scenario? You serve in GP Kids ministry here and you're awesome. The kids love you. You've led many kids to Jesus. You have helped parents disciple their kids and their teens and they're just so happy for you. You've connected these, with these families outside of Sunday. You've gone to these kids' games. You've gone to their birthdays. You've given them a present. Like you're just an awesome leader. So the parents get together and want to buy you a weekend getaway in Sonoma. And some of you are like, that'll get me serving, right? That'd be awesome. But think about the questions. Are they obligated to do this? No. Do you deserve it? I would make an argument. Yeah, you've, you've done a good job. You probably earned it. Some would say yes. Is that grace? No. Here's the last scenario. Let's say you've got a really, really bad neighbor. And this is halfway a true story of one of our pastors at Grace Point. You have this neighbor that is throwing her trash over your wall repeatedly, raking your rocks away from your property, taking pictures of everyone's license plate that comes to your home and enters your garage with a rock rake cursing you and trying to hit you. By the way, she has called the cops on you multiple times. Here's the, half, the other half that's not necessarily true, but it makes a point. She gets ill. She has no family. Yet now you go over and for a couple of years to assist her with all of her needs. You go to the doctor visits with her. You pay her medical bills. You buy her food. Just keep going on and on and on. Are you obligated to her? No. Does she deserve it? No. But that's grace. You see, you and I are in a far worse position than that neighbor. The Bible says that you and I are sinners by nature as well as by choice. And because of that, we are scripturally speaking dead, rebellious sinners and towards God. Yet what does Romans 5 say? That God loved us so much that yet while we were still sinners, what? Christ died for us. You see, scripturally, you and I are dead, rebellious sinners. That's who we are in relationship to God. Nobody's taken that puppy home from the pound, Okay. It's just not happening. Yet God in his grace did what you and I could never do for ourselves. And he loved us. He sent Jesus into our lives, the Holy Spirit into our hearts to awaken our hearts, no longer to see God as a villain to run from, but a father to run to. And that is glorious good news. And when God brings you into the family, hear me clearly, he does never, he never rips you out of it. But what does he do? When you sin, he relentlessly pursues you to what? To keep you in because you are attached by the gospel. You are binded together into a gospel-centered family. That's it. And Paul ends this book by reminding you and me of that glorious good news. And today, what we get to do, and we have the privilege to do, is to celebrate that by witnessing baptism. That we're gonna see sisters in Jesus Sisters in Christ, make that 
that family relationship public by identifying with Jesus' burial and baptism and his resurrection by coming up out of the water, identifying that Jesus and Jesus alone is who made them right with God. They're not trying to earn anything. They're just trusting in what God has done for them. And that is a picture of them being reconciled to God as well as to this family. And maybe this morning, God is putting on your heart to make that same type of confession. If that's you, we're gonna invite you this morning that if you want to trust in Jesus and Jesus alone, just go right around this curtain here. We've got our prayer point table. We're gonna have people there that would love to talk with you about that. This is 1 Corinthians. It has challenged us. It has grown us. And I pray by the grace of God, it will make us more mature looking like Jesus for his glory and the good of those who live in Northwest Las Vegas. Let's pray.